This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome everyone to Christchurch, uh, Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study, or whatever day of the week uh, it is for you guys. Um, and we are wrestling with the last words of Moses, studying uh, Moses' final words to the children of Israel as they are about to enter the land of Canaan to become a just and a society that reflects the light and character of God to the nations. This is his last opportunity to, uh, to give his, his wisdom and his take on the Torah, particularly putting the Torah into, his, into the people's hearts. Uh, we have been just wrestling with chapter 16. Uh, this is actually um, uh, study number 31. Can you believe that, guys? We have done 31 uh, shots at this, and uh, we're, we're almost halfway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Courage, Willow. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. Brother Neville, you've got a prayers in? Yes. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. Lord, even in these times where life can be difficult and we don't know what's around the corner, we thank you, Father, that you never change. Your promises are eternal and your love is never changing. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and study your word. And we pray that you'd honor us by your presence and teach us by your Holy Spirit. This evening we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to uh, read a little summary which we had from last week where we tackled the first eight verses. Uh, and we discussed so much, it took me a page and a half to actually write. Normally I try and get, keep these notes down to about a page just for internet purposes, but couldn't do it. We, we really wrestled with a lot last week, which was great. All right, so here we have a summary from our um, discussion last week. Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 8. Moses describes the three pilgrim festivals, all rooted in the agricultural cycle that required traveling to the temple. It appears that these pilgrimage festivals were of more importance to the ancient Israelites, perhaps because of the actual existence of a physical temple, which will change following its discussion. Right? So Moses in Deuteronomy doesn't mention the other festivals, only the ones that require you to appear before God in Jerusalem. When those, and they seem to have been of a high priority for ancient Israel. But, but following the destruction of the temple, other festivals have now become uh, more important, including things like Chanukah, Rosh Hashanah, and, uh, and Shavuot. Moses does not mention the other feasts of the Lord. In discussion, we mentioned that one reason could be that these feasts are, that in these feasts particularly represent the Messiah in some way. Moses notes the name of the month as Aviv, the month of redemption from Egypt. In Exodus, the year begins in Aviv, in the spring. However, today Rosh Hashanah is in the seventh month and the new year begins in the fall. Only four months of the Jewish calendar are mentioned in the Bible. The first month, Aviv, now called Nisan. The second month, 
Ziv, now called Ayav, seventh month Itanim, now called Tishrei, the eighth month Bul, now called Cheshvan. The Jewish people adopted the Babylonian calendar while in diaspora. Months are now named after Babylonian gods, and the new year moved to the fall. One reason for this could simply be that the Hebrew Bible does not give names for the majority of the months of the year. So there was no biblical hold on the names of the Jewish calendar. Okay, guys? We couldn't even go back to the names of the Jewish months. Just not possible. The feasts of the Lord are described several times in the Torah. Leviticus 23 does not say where one should offer the land. Numbers 9 describes a Passover in the desert, and presumably the people of Israel slaughtered the lambs in their tents, as they had done in Egypt. The initial Passover was a family household affair. There was no priestly distinction, no altar or temple. Passover was a family affair, just uh, as it is done today by Jewish families. Now standing before Israel on the plains of Moab, Moses does not mention a Seder service, nor makes mention of four cups of wine. These are traditions that have developed over the long history of the Jewish people, traditions for which Jesus has no objections. He does not say at Passover meal in the Gospels, what are we doing? It's not in the Bible. Moses makes mention of chametz, the leaven that is forbidden at this time. Following Passover begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leaven must be removed from the possession of Israel for a period of seven days. How exactly this is to be done is not explained. Today this is done by the fastidious cleansing of Jewish homes and businesses. Passover becomes the season where all Jewish women go crazy and meticulously clean their houses. The rest of the leaven is simply sold to non-Jews and repurchased at the conclusion of Passover. A small portion of chametz is ceremonially burnt on a, on a fire prior to the Seder. Chametz, or leaven, is too often typecast as a symbol of sin. However, that is not always the case. For example, in Matthew 13, 33, there the kingdom of heaven is compared to leaven and in a positive way. Chametz is a biological fermentation originally sourced from grain, but in itself is not grain. Wine is also a fermented drink. And the rabbis note that by including wine in the Seder, they technically violate the mitzvah. However, this is justified by adding that they are just following another mitzvah, the mitzvah of drinking wine. Please note, Judaism is actually quite flexible, and it is not the strict, absolute religion that it is often portrayed to be. Just like Paul, there is nothing intrinsically evil about chametz. It's just that at this time, it is forbidden. The Passover can only be consumed by those who have been circumcised. Circumcision was not an uncommon practice in the ancient Near East. A lot of people did it. However, 
For Abraham, it became a sign of the covenant, and Hebrew males were circumcised for that reason, as was Ishmael. And thus circumcision is also practiced in the Arab world to this day. During the wanderings in the desert, this practice was not followed. Thus, the celebration of Passover in the desert subsequently declined. It was reinstituted by Joshua immediately upon entering Canaan prior to the Battle of Jericho. Yep, that's right. They get across uh, the, the River Jordan, and the first thing they do is circumcise themselves, which does not seem like a really good battle plan when you're preparing your army for invasion. Okay? But they do. So what is the connection between the blood of the circumcision and the blood of the Passover? Because it is the only festival that has this requirement. Okay? Out of all the festivals in the Bible, this is the one that you have to be circumcised to be able to celebrate. You can celebrate Shabbat if you're not circumcised. You can sit in a booth if you're not circumcised. Okay? You can do Yom Kippur, but not, not Passover. In the New Testament, Paul admonishes the community in Corinth, composed of both Jewish and Gentile believers, to keep the Passover feast, okay, 1 Corinthians 5. However, there is a strong possibility that many of those Gentiles were not themselves circumcised. Today, many Gentiles are invited to celebrate the feasts with Jewish friends, and they are not asked regarding their circumcision. What does that mean? Just remember, Judaism is not this oppressive uh, law religion. There's a lot of flexibility, even though they know what the rules are. So what do we learn? There is a redemptive aspect to the covenant of God that God makes with his people. And this redemption involves blood. The blood of the Passover lamb was placed on the doorposts once. Circumcision is performed once, and the blood that the Messiah sheds, he does for many once. And perhaps this might be the connection. All right. So that was a summary from our discussions of, uh, of last week, which was uh, very enjoyable, guys. Thank you very much. So now we continue with the rest of Chapter 16, looking at the feasts of Shavuot, Sukkot, and the appointment of the Shoftim judges over us. So this is reading from verse 9 of Deuteronomy 16. If you've got your Bibles. And we begin. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God in the place where he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God 
at the place the Lord your God will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all of your harvests and all the work of your hands. Your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land that the Lord your God has given you. And do not set up any wooden Asherah pole beside the altar you build to the Lord your God. And do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates. Okay. Now, I know we read that again uh, last week, but is there anything there that stands out for you this time around? Or is there anything that seems to be missing? Yes. What was that, Roddy? <laughs> I just noticed. Uh, don't set up a standing stone. Yeah. Think about what we did in the city of David. What's down there? Yeah, that's right. We've done that before, haven't we? Yeah. Of course, that's a very ancient one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And why are only the men to appear? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, we're very concerned about males and females and servants and widows and orphans and Levites and foreigners. And yet, when it comes to who stands before God, it seems to be one particular people group. It's very interesting, and hopefully we'll... Uh, first of all, I, I admit I have absolutely no idea why, but I'm going to hope that we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, in Deuteronomy 14, it says in verse 26, you and your household. So there are places where he does say, your mm -hmm. wife, the husband, the wives, the families. Yeah. So sometimes he just wants the men. He wants the men alone. We can talk about that when we get to them. I don't know the reason why, but it does stand out here. And also, Aaron, yep. um, you know, he said that all the males should appear before him every year. But we go to Exodus 34. Um, he tried to deal with one of their fears. In Exodus 34, verse 24, he says, I will, drive, I will drive out the nations from your path and enlarge your territory. No one will covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times a year. And you see, you could, you, you could see that... Um, even though he has said this before, but um, that were part of their fears was that oh, if we leave, I mean, uh, people are going to invade us. I mean, in, in ancient times, that was how they move wealth. You know, people just go and invade other countries. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's what yeah could be could be um, what he's doing there. Yeah, in context. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, with the stone. Doesn't Joshua, aren't they told to write down these things on a stone? Yes, they are. And they set up a stone pillar in uh, Shechem? Yes. There are very interesting commandments that God gives, which 
in another command, he seems to tell them to do the opposite. For example, uh, we are told not to make a graven image of anything in heaven, right? Right. And yet, we make cherubim on an ark. The tabernacle is decorated with the pictures of angels, and, uh, and so is the high priest's garment himself, all at the commandment of the Lord. So this is part of the beautiful tension that you find in Hebrew Scripture, which you know, drives um, Bible commentators nuts, um, trying to figure out why you have certain commands and then another thing that happens which seems to go completely against the, uh, the, the intention of the first command, if that really was the intention of the first command. Um, and you can see how uh, this issue reappears in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek Bible. Uh, we bring a, a girl caught in adultery. So according to the Torah, what has to happen to her? Stoner. Absolutely. Of course, that's a good classic law. I mean, like, let's just do it. But Yeshua um, says, what's the intention, guys? And, uh, and so there's, there's a... It's a, it's, a, it's a good piece of learning for a lot of people. And just so you know, rabbis know this, okay? There's lots of commentary. Not, it's, not, it's not generic. It's not that every rabbi knows exactly everything the same. But you can see in a lot of Jewish exegesis where they turn around and go, that's not really what that meant, okay? It's more like this, and, uh, which reappears in, in, um, in us. I'll tell you something that, that I noticed when I read these things and I um, read some of the corresponding passages in Leviticus and Numbers. There's no sacrifices here. Mm. Okay, you go to look at look at, look what Moses is saying. Moses is standing before Israel, and he's mentioned the three major pilgrim festivals that have to appear before the Lord. Now we all know that you've got a Passover lamb, fine, but um, feasts of Shavuot, feasts of Tabernacles. There is no mention here of the big long lists of animals you have to kill. What is it you actually have to bring before the Lord? Produce. A gift, which is an oxymoron, isn't it? You have to bring a gift. Well, how can a have to become a free will? Now, isn't that an interesting little piece of Hebrew tension? <laughs> yes. Hi, I'd like everybody to come to my party, and you will bring a gift, which you will enjoy giving me. Yes, I shall indeed do that. Okay. Um, but isn't that interesting? And, and, and perhaps we could have a little talk about that relationship that we have with God, which means you get commands, and then you actually delight to do them, okay? uh, which is probably what, what's, what's going on here. All right. Very, very interesting in uh, the Feast of Booths on uh, verse 16. Three times a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord. So you have to mm -hmm. go up. And then in Zechariah, it says in uh, chapter 14, if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem on the Feast of, of Tabernacles. So it's, you know, again, that. Yep, that's right. Here you have just men. Okay, so what is Moses trying to tell Israel? And then the prophets will say something else. Now, all of this is not a contradiction. That's, that's, not, uh, that's, that's the way skeptics read the Bible. Okay, that's not the way we read the Bible. 
Okay? The way we like to read the Bible in the Hebrew mindset is when you find these bits of tension, you leap into it and you, and you figure out what, what can we learn from it. Okay? Um, what does Moses not tell the people to do in the Feast of Weeks? Okay, let's just read that passage and then see what happens. So count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. All right? So we get this, uh, you get the count of when you're supposed to start counting the Omar and work out your 50 days okay, uh, to get from Passover to Shavuot. Celebrate the Feast of Weeks of the Lord your God by doing what? Okay. Free will, free will offering okay. to the Lord your God in proportion to the blessing that he has given you. Rejoice, Jewish festivals are constantly uh, involving the emotion of rejoicing, which is a command, which is a small problem if you don't feel like being happy. But there is this concept with God, you know, in heaven, what is there not going to be? Mm. Tears. Right? But we love people. What happens if some of our kids don't make it, or some of our friends, or some of our family, or mum and dad? You know, we might be sad, but somehow that won't actually happen. You can see that already here, where God says, when, you, when it's time to come to stand before me, I'm the God of life. I'm the God of joy. I'm the God of good. Whenever you come before me, all of these positive things uh, occur, and you will feel, or you should feel, or I want you to feel, joyful and rejoice. Take simcha. In, uh, in, 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 a, in a raptured joy. And uh, it's in the place where he will choose as a dwelling for his name, which is, ends up being uh, two different places. Roddy, did you go to Shiloh just the other day? I did not. I didn't go with him, but I've been there numerous oh, right. times. Okay, so the, um, the uh, Christchurch sent, uh, sent its staff and volunteers on, a, on an outing, on a field trip to Shiloh. So we got a chance to go and see where God lived for 369 uh, years, but he also lived uh, in Jerusalem for a little longer. And uh, uh, but let's have a look at um, in Leviticus 23 at this festival and see what Moses is trying to do. The way he is uh, is re uh, not reinterpreting because he himself said Leviticus 23, but how he is reinforcing a certain aspect of the Torah. So in Leviticus 23, verse 15, Moses is saying, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. So the, from the day after the Sabbath, okay, whatever that meant, and then Moses puts it a little different. He says, from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain, the very different uh, ways of trying to describe. So there seems to be some uh, problem uh, with the Jewish people. We don't really know exactly what you mean by the day after the Sabbath. What Sabbath? What happens if the Passover falls on a Sabbath? You mean you've got to wait a whole new week for this thing? Um, uh, and, then, and so Moses clarifies, look, it's this. It's a harvest festival, and so it's going to uh, apply the time this way. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days 
up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Um, from what it, wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah, the finest flour by yeast, as a wave offering of the first fruits of the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, uh, each a year old, without a defect, one young bull, two rams. They'll be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and a drink offering. Okay, this is the word hola, okay, it's a, where the, the whole animal is consumed, nothing is, is kept for the priest or the, the worshipper. This is the same word, Olah, which is used of um, what Noah gave when he came out of the ark, and it's the same word used to describe Isaac when he's to be offered up uh, to God on, um, in Moriah. This is a, an, a, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Sacrifice a male goat for a sin offering. Okay, sin offerings are for unintentional sin, okay, not for intentional sin. So you have... Um, off to the side, an offering uh, for unintentional sin, uh, and then and then um, and then and, and also one for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread, the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. But the priest gets a little bit. On that day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever live and when you reap the harvest of your land do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you i am the lord your god so in leviticus as, as part of this description of the festival you get this um commandment of gleaning Okay, of leaving the, the, the sides of your field which you don't find in deuteronomy he's mentioned that previously but not uh, not here. He takes that out of context. So what are some of the obvious differences between what you see in Leviticus and what you see in Deuteronomy? Any ideas? Does it talk about the lamb? Okay, there's absolutely no sacrifice in Deuteronomy. Moses is downplaying, and he does this throughout the entire book of Deuteronomy, he downplays the work of the tabernacle. Okay? You've got lots of, of, of descriptions about what you should do in the tabernacle, about you know, the sort of very ceremonial laws, and once you get in Deuteronomy, Moses is not ignoring the tabernacle. But what he's doing is trying to place the Torah on your heart and he's trying to say, don't get too concerned with the religiosity of it. Go back to the intention. Go back to where you put the Torah on your heart. He's not saying ignore the sacrifices. You can't ignore them. They're in Leviticus. You already know what you're supposed to do. But when he has the opportunity to share the festival of weeks, okay, he doesn't mention a sacrifice here. What he's mentioning is some other things. Who gets a special mention, which is not mentioned in Deuteronomy, in uh, Leviticus? Then also, Aaron? Yeah? When you, yeah, also, in the, you did mention about the, uh, the counting of the Omer. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's always cause a lot of um, division when it comes to the, the day of the counting of the Omer. 
because um, the day after the Shabbat is usually translated as the day after the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it's seen as a Shabbat because after the um, Passover, the next day is the Shabbat. And so yep. it's interpreted as Shabbat. But other people also want to see it as the end of the week, the Shabbat of the week. And yep. so it. So at the end of the every year we always have it like that and um it's this third God says I'm gonna create this really cool rule and you guys are gonna argue it about it for thousands of years. It's gonna be absolutely blast. And uh and then Moses comes on and says, Look, it's look, uh it's when you start, you know, putting the sickle to the grain. Stop arguing about this Shabbat stuff. You're so damn confused. It's this. So he's obviously had some issues in the desert because remember, people yeah. are not circumcising um, yeah. and, 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 you, and you start to wonder what exactly has been going on in these 40 years in the desert. And, and he, even, he even gave that one-line hint in um, Tamu, which chapter of Deuteronomy, but where he says, don't do like we did in the desert. In the desert, yeah. So yeah. Do, so yeah. It's, it seems that Moses has had a, a, a learning experience and he says, oh my mm. gosh, we've got we to make sure we figure this out. I want the Torah on your hearts and I want you to, you, here's your counting mechanism. As soon as you start hacking this grain, okay, start counting. Okay, Bernardo, what's your, what's your question? Raise your hand and chat. Yeah, in regards to what Samson was saying, um, that way, the, the Christian church kind of has it. If, if we take the weekly Shabbat and then the day afterwards, it's always the first day, so it's on a Sunday. So that way, the Christian church celebrates it. I was just wondering if you can explain, for the sake of those that don't know the relation about Shavuot and Pentecost and the 50 weeks and all that. Okay. All right. So um, just, just before... On this, is the very same point that I think it's, from my perspective, I think it's really clear that he's, he's talking about the day after the weekly Sabbath. Because in the first half of Leviticus chapter 23, the word Sabbath is only used for the weekly Sabbath. And then right. you have to count all seven of them. It's, by definition, it's a weekly Sabbath. Correct. Now, the only other use of Sabbath is in verse 32, which is where the Day of Atonement is called a Sabbath of solemn rest. But in that first part of that chapter, it's completely unambiguous. The Sabbath is the weekly Sabbath. Therefore, the day after the Sabbath is the day is the Sunday of the week of unleavened bread. Now, I know there's uh, three or four different ways of in history of it being understood. But I, from reading the text in Leviticus 23, I think it's clear. Um, I'm going yeah, to I agree with Neville. Yeah, I, I agree with you too, Neville. I also acknowledge the other voices, even though I disagree with them. <laughs> and, and I can see Moses right now probably having 40 years of this, okay? And when he's standing in front of them, goes, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to use the word. I'm not going to use the word Shabbat. You're already confused. And, uh, and he puts it to, to um, the agrarian portion. Um, it's, it's interesting, Bernardo, that there's a, there's a Jewish group, you know, the Dead Sea sect, which, which really wanted to make sure that the festivals always fell on the same day. And, uh, and so they played with the calendar, not played with it, but they were running a solar as well as a lunar calendar, which uh, was part of Jewish life for many thousands of years. 
Okay, many of the dates that you see in Genesis, Bereshit, only work if you're following a solar calendar. Um, a guy who wrote a really good um, PhD research on this was a guy called Van der Kam, and he, he wrote uh, a book, I think it's just called Sacred Calendars of, of Judaism or something like that. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a small book, but it's an excellent book which shows us the number of calendars that were actually around in the Second Temple period. Okay? The calendar that we've got today has been shrunk down to just lunar. But at the temple, there was this other one. Um, the, uh, the Christian calendar came along because it was solar. It, it didn't borrow from the Essene calendar, but, it, um, but they lined up where you could always make sure that, uh, that, that certain festivals always fell on, on uh, first days of the week. Not all of them, um, but a, a goodly portion of them. And that's just an, a, a way that many communities like to, to, to acknowledge time. Now, time is very special to the Lord, okay? but time is not a God. And so we have to be very careful when criticizing uh, Jewish, Dead Sea sect people, Christian people, or anybody in their, in their religious use of, of, of time. They're all beneficial and, uh, and, and uh, uh, powerful if used in the right way. Um, well, um, more than, than discuss the calendars and stuff like that, for me, the importance of understanding this was when, when, because I grew up and I was taught that on Pentecost, that was the birth of the church, right? Oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And later on, when I realized that it was actually, they were celebrating the Feast of Yehovah of the yeah. weeks of Shavuot, and that is not that was not taking place in that upper room, which I, I had the privilege of sleeping there in that yeshiva right next to that upper room. Yeah. But actually in the Temple Mount. That's correct. And that's when they discovered all the mikvahs that, that, that was the archaeological proof of that. Yep. Yep. So Shavuot, Pentecost, because Pentecost is actually uh, in Septuagint. That's the word that it uses for Shavuot. Okay, in Greek Old, Old Testament. So in, the, in Leviticus, which, which has a nice emphasis on which sacrifices you're supposed to give at this festival, Deuteronomy, Moses, comes along and he doesn't have a list of sacrifices. Okay. Um, what does he mention? What does he particularly want to mention? The son, the daughter, the female servant. Servant, the Levite, the foreigner, yeah. the fatherless. <laughs> yeah, well done, Yvonne. Yeah. He, he, he shows us the intention, right? He goes, I'm, I'm going to have a festival. This is a really special piece of holy time. You haven't quite figured out what I'm doing because there's no actual meaning attached to it. Like you don't, there's no, no sentence in the Torah that says, and on this day I'm going to give my Torah and you're going to celebrate the giving of the Torah. Wouldn't it be nice if that was clear? It's not. Um, but what is here is that something's very special is going on, and I actually want everyone involved. Okay, I want I want my family involved. I want men and women. I love you both. I want the kids. I really love the kids. I even want the strangers, those guys that you don't like. Okay, the ones that you always keep. Um, saying nasty things like, "What's the Jewish joke? Why did God create Gentiles so someone could pay full price?" You know, 
um, it's, it's a Jewish joke, right? Because you don't buy anything in Israel unless it's on a sale, okay? The only people not buying stuff on sale are the silly Gentiles, okay? And, uh, but, but God loves all the world, and so he wants to make sure, you know, everybody comes to me. Everyone's here with me, okay? And... Uh, Aaron, can I make an observation about um, the, the Feast of uh, Pentecost? Obviously, the... Um, Passover is seven or eight days, and depending on you count it. And the tabernacles is also the same, you know, week long or eight days. But Pentecost is just one day. And I, I get this feeling that, you know, this, is, this corresponds to the birthday of the church, or at least the, you know, the, um, the announcement of, that, that Peter gives on that, on that day. And he wants it so that everyone is going to be on the Temple Mount, on the same day, hearing the same sound, seeing, you know, hearing the, seeing the fire and hearing the noise and seeing these people stand up and proclaim what's going on. You know, there's no excuse. It, everybody was there. I mean, it must have been immensely packed. Yeah. So it would have been. And what is the later attribution? What is the later piece of theology that's attached to the Feast of Weeks, to Shavuot? Uh, the giving of the law. Giving of the law. Okay, now where do they get that idea from? Well, you can sort of see it links up in the in the Torah, but it's not it's not precisely stated. You, you kind yeah. of within a few days. Yeah, you, you kind of have to fudge it a little. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the the first two sentence the first two sentences of uh, Exodus nineteen, which yeah. describes this sort of. Um, it doesn't say fifty days. It says two months. Right in the third month which each month is, you know, four weeks, so 20, 48 days plus a little bit more. You can sort of, there's somewhere around there. Yeah. And, um, and, and then you get this event of God intervening, um, you know, for the very first time. He's never done this before. You're calling a group of people and speaking to an entire uh, nation, which is absolutely incredible, and uh, and it actually links into the festival we're about to celebrate, uh, Rosh Hashanah. Okay, Rosh Hashanah, as everybody knows, um, is now in the fall, although it actually in the Bible is supposed to be in the spring, and um, the actual major mitzvah that's actually attached to Rosh Hashanah is the blowing of the trumpet, the shofar, which you don't do for other festivals. Okay. I know, I know um, this drives messianics insane when you tell them this. You don't blow shafars in, on Shabbat in Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, I know, it just drives messianics insane. All right, but, so so ever, ever, ever since Ilul, which was um, a month ago, okay, um, that's when you start blowing shofars in synagogues, okay? but not on Shabbat. So you do, you do blow shofars every day in Elul. Okay, that's the, that's the festival before, the, the month before Rosh Hashanah. It's in preparation for Rosh Hashanah. The only day, there are two days of the calendar year actually, that you do blow shofars in synagogues. They are on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur. So you have this big builder blowing shofars. And they get it from uh, the Exodus 19, where um, it says that uh, Exodus 19, 19, 
that uh, all Israel saw the thunder and they saw the lightning and they saw the fire and they saw the voice of the shofar. And so this, this sort of ram's horn trumpet blast was linked to uh, the Torah somehow. And, um, and it becomes a, a very um, important part of Rosh Hashanah, which is the festival we're doing right now. Because Mary, in the Bible, it's not called that. What's um, it called, well, It's called uh, Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah, the, the festival of yeah. the blowing. And, uh, uh, and, and, and yeah. so um, Shavuot becomes, over time, this idea of the giving of the Torah. God comes right, there's two other links with that, Aaron. Yeah, go for it. There's two other indicia. So first... When does God act? When does God? When do we see when God takes action with human beings? Whenever oh, unified, and whenever we yes, right. Um, so He tells the Moses, he attracts the divine. They're all of one mindset, Moses. So yep. put them together, tell them to watch for three days, and we're going to give the law. Yep, that's what happens. And what happens on Shavuot after? Uh, after Yeshua's crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. They Same are again. all the one accord. One accord, yeah. Right? One accord. Right? Yep. So you, everyone's of one mindset. So we have that going on. And what else happens? What's the other uh, indicia that, that links the two? About 3,000. The 3,000. And about 3,000 were saved. Yes. All of those links are there. 3,000 who die in the desert because of the golden calf. Uh, are replaced by the 3,000 baptized in Acts 2. Uh, the fire that they see with the voices at Mount Sinai is, is the fire you see on the, in, the, in Acts chapter 2. It, it all links. It's unbelievable how they do it. But this is all, this is all of course, just tradition because the actual text doesn't mention any of that at all. And um, I think that the, the, we have to remember that Jewish tradition, or any tradition actually, for that matter, isn't inherently evil, right? You, you know, you, you never see Yeshua pick up a glass of wine at Passover and go, guys, this is not in the Bible. <laughs> right? he doesn't, he, what he does is he has a great opportunity to say, I know you've figured out these four, these four cups of wine. You've given them all names and meanings. Let me now give you another meaning. It's my blood that's going to make a new covenant. Right, and um, and it's gonna it's gonna be incredibly powerful, um, and 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 he doesn't just dismiss traditions; he has an opportunity to use that. And I think that's a good thing for all of us to learn, very humbly, actually. Okay, Teresa. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think it must be a tradition as well that um, Shavuot is the completion of Pesach, and for the church. Pentecost is the completion of Easter, isn't it? In the in the church calendar, yes, they always put those two together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just also to put in there that we have a tradition um, of also connecting the Torah of Babel, that yeah. the event of Torah of Babel also happened on Shavuot. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's a good tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, multiple, the multiple languages which we see at Bavel, yeah. the multiple yeah. languages that we see the in the tradition of Mount Sinai, 
God speaks to the entire world. And then the multiple languages we see in Acts 2, they're all interlinked together. Um, tradition just constantly uh, putting the, the truth of the Lord together. Yeah, I had, a, I had a, an observation, Aaron. Um, when you look at the menorah and you, you look at the seven shafts, yeah. the, fourth, the fourth shaft, which is the central shaft, it's that servant lamp, the, the shamash or whatever, shamash, uh, which composes of that base of the menorah. The actual center is uh, Shavuot. And it's interesting because it's on that day that uh, he creates signs and seasons for the Moedim. So I kind of think it's interesting, actually, the placement of Shavuot and what it signifies and comparing that to yes. uh, days of creation and that central I, shaft. I hadn't thought of that before. Okay. Yeah, being the servant lamp and from all of that, you know, just radiates the other festivals. Very good. Okay, getting back to the text. Who does God want, or Moses, but the Lord through Moses, who does he want to be able to celebrate this festival? Sons, daughters, males, females, I guess everybody. Levites, okay. foreigners, Fatherless and widows. Who are the fatherless and the widows? Why mention them? The ones most likely to be left behind. Yeah. They're, they're vulnerable people in this society. Yes. Moses is, remember, the Torah on your heart is meant to create a society that is just, that reflects the character of God. And one of the characters of God is that he loves the weak. He loves to defend the weak. And he wants his society to, to reflect his character. So Moses makes a particular mention, which hasn't been mentioned in the, in the Torah yet. But now he does. He says, okay, you make sure that when we get together to celebrate the giving of the Torah, the multiple languages, have whatever tradition you want to shove on this, I'm not too worried, but you make sure that the fatherless come. You make sure that the widows come. You make sure that the weak come before me rejoicing. You make sure that they get their portion. You make sure that the Levites who don't own nothing, uh, they got to come too. And, uh, and I think that um, that tells us something about God that you do not find in any other God. These kinds of rules just don't appear. In, in, in the traditions of, of, other, of other gods. Our God is good. And, uh, and that is one of the, the, the characteristics of our God. He's good. One, one thing that's interesting there, and, and there's two places in Numbers in uh, 15 where it says you will have one law for people who sojourn, for you all and the stranger and the alien who sojourns with you. In two places he says that in, in 1515 and then Yep. 1529. And so God is gracious that, you know, basically saying, hey, you got to deal with everybody equally. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yes, you do. And that includes the foreigner. Yep. The guy that just happens to be wandering through your territory. Okay. And, uh, and, and also the last part of this festival um, you get that little link where Moses digs it in again as part of the national memory 
of the Jewish people. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, right? You didn't, you're not going, you're about to cross into, into the Canaan, but that's not where you're from. You will never be able to say, oh, we've always been here since time immemorial. This is our land. You know? This is an inheritance. We are being given this. We were just slaves. The, the, the national memory of the Jewish people is actually very humbly. Okay? And that's meant to modify their character going, going forward. And, uh, and it's meant to also be linked to, once you remember your humble beginnings, perhaps you'll carefully follow these decrees, as opposed to pride, which is the un unfortunate fall of many empires, uh, including empires today. Okay? Our empires come and go, uh, and we tend to, to fall based on our, on our pride. Okay, so getting on to tabernacles, okay? Celebrate, which is, which is probably one of the more fun festivals because, you know, it just proves to us once again that God loves camping, okay? And uh, which, which you can see clearly uh, from the text, although not so much from this one. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Okay, well, that's definitely good fun. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, which we discussed a couple of chapters ago about what that actually meant, the, the, the owning of slaves. And the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you and all your harvest and all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, or your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place of the Jews, at the festival of, of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Awesome. What's not mentioned there in the Feast of Tabernacles? Sacrifices. Sacrifices, again, we don't mention sacrifices. When you go down to um, uh, uh, Numbers, I think it's 29, is it? You get this incredible long list mm. of sacrifices about what you're supposed yeah. to do. Uh, where is it? Uh, Festival of Tabernacles. Yes. 29. Yes. Start reading chapter 29, and you just get this incredible litany of two bulls here, three rams there, a couple of lambs over here. Every day gets these, um, these lists. Awesome. Get to, get to uh, Deuteronomy, not, not even one. Not, not even mentioning one. Okay? Not to say that you're not going to do them, but what is Moses trying to teach here? Also, what is not mentioned? What else is not mentioned? The, um, the, the four species. Okay, we don't have the fourth species. There's no mention of, of, of that. Okay. What else? What's the, what's the big thing you're supposed to do at Tabernacles? Build a sukkah. Yeah, build one. <laughs> okay, the Feast of Booths, where you're supposed to build a booth. Right? But when you get to Moses, Festival of Tabernacles, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Doesn't tell you how. Just to just make sure you, show, you do it in Jerusalem. Okay, what am I supposed to do? I don't know, but bring your servants. Okay, great, good. Have fun, um, celebrate, bring a gift. No mention of camping, no mention of sacrifices. 
Um, wonder why? Wonder what he's doing here. What's a, what's Moses? Uh, uh, why is he leaving this stuff out? That doesn't mean it's not not covered because it is covered by other books. Yeah. Okay? Um, no one's going to say, "Oh, I forgot to build the tabernacle because Moses didn't tell me." Well, he did. He just told you forty years ago. Um, what what's uh, what's going on here? So let's have a, a, a try and have a closer look. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. Each of these festivals is a festival for how long? Seven. Yeah. Um, seven Shavuot days. is one. The, the, the Unliving Bread is seven. And um, Tabernacle is seven. 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 Right. Although, technically, um, Shavuot, um, Tabernacle is eight. They mentioned the eighth day, if you read in um, Leviticus, and also... Um, when you read um, Feast of Unliving Bread, that is also the eighth day that yes. is mentioned. Yeah. That is correct. So eight-day festivals do show up uh, in the Bible regularly, um, which is the reason why once you get to Hanukkah and we're trying to create a new festival, it goes on for eight days. Right? They sort of play on this eight-day idea. Um, here, uh, he doesn't mention the, the, this, this eighth-day bit. He just says, okay, you gather in the produce of your threshing floor and wine press. So there is a definite sense of um, blessing. What's going to happen when you get into Canaan? Apart from killing everyone. Um, <laughs> You're going to be blessed. The land is yeah. going to yield its fruits. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to take all their stuff. Right? We're going to go from this nomadic existence where we're living in, in tents and we're going to have and our clothing which hasn't worn out and we're going to be have, and, and in this manner which we've been eating which is now going to stop once we get in but once we begin to actually conquer these cities we're going to start we're going to take stuff over I'm suddenly going to get a house that I didn't actually build and there's going to be this field which I didn't plow it but now I can just pop in some seed and I'm going to get a harvest. I didn't have to clear the rocks. Some poor Canaanite did that for me a couple of hundred years ago, and then I killed his descendants. Um, we could begin to forget who gave us all this stuff. And so Moses is, uh, is, re is reflecting. When you've gathered in your produce and you've gathered in your stuff, I'm not, not, even, not even telling you where you get your sources from, okay, um, then, then come, be joyful at this festival and bring the poor, bring the disenfranchised, bring the priests, okay, those religious people whom you don't like. Okay? No one likes religious people. Okay? Everybody keeps talking about Jesus all the time. Very embarrassing. Never bring them to parties. But you're going to bring them, okay, you're going to bring the Levites because I want them with me and the foreigners, the, the, all those Gentiles that you... You sometimes, you know, make jokes about and don't like. I want them here too, which is a very interesting uh, concept. And, uh, and then come and celebrate in joy uh, before the Lord your God. And you'll get blessed in your harvest. So there's this reciprocal. You've already been blessed. Now come bring your blessing and get even more blessed. But within this, you're going to bring a gift, which is a command, which seems to... Question. Uh, yes. I noticed that in verse 13 it says it implies that 
your produce will be from the threshing floor or your wine press. In other words, bread and wine. Yes. But it doesn't mention meat. It doesn't mention animal sacrifices or, you know, for having a feast with meat. Yeah. Any observations on that? Um, actually, I hadn't thought about it. I just looked at, um, when, I read, when I read the numbers passage, there's this long litany of animals. Uh, when I looked here, I didn't see them, but I didn't jump to bread and wine. That, but that is interesting. That's a, and it's in that order too, okay? which we discussed last week, remember? Right? Um, what, what does Melchizedek present to Abraham? Bread and wine. Bread and wine. And, the, and that's what the Essene community were doing. They were doing bread and wine. And, uh, and that, is, that is the reason why uh, in, the, in the Christian churches, even though they don't know it, it's the reason why when they do communion, it's always bread wine. They may have, may have forgotten the reason, but that, that actually is the reason. Um, it's the, the order of Melchizedek. And here, here again, you do see it. Threshing floor, bread, and, uh, and wine press, wine. How come at the just the, you know the weekly the set whatever the sab the seder how come it's uh, I know we talked about it a little bit I don't know if that was ever conclusive or it's wine and bread it's first you know uh, the hagafen whatever and then you know from the, the hamotzi yeah, yeah how come um, I have no idea um, it's the, the it's in all Jewish festivals whenever it's time to do anything the first thing you do is bless wine and then and then and then bread. Um, I don't know when those traditions came about. Uh, you don't see it in Torah, like we discussed, like in the Passover narratives uh, in the Torah. There is no wine mentioned. It is a tradition. It's a great tradition, just so everybody knows. Um, but um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And um, another question, in the tabernacle, um, they would change the bread, the showbread, every seven days. Seven days. And then there were kind of, from what I understand, there's like goblets. So is there inside of the holy place uh, wine as well? You know, I know that they, the whole thing about the satyrs, they say it's kind of like you're, you're, you're actually creating that table space. And even in, the, in uh, one of the passages of the Hebrew Bible, it talks about the, uh, the, the holy place being the table. And so that whole concept of them coming and, and having the lights and the bread and the wine at the Seder on Sabbath and how that just comes, it just picks up that theme from the holy place. Um, That's a good question. Um, the, in, the, in the Jewish prayer book, the prayers for Shabbat, um, they, they, because you have light, because you have bread, uh, wine, because you have bread, it very much mimics Passover as well. And the prayer as well. And the prayer as well actually says, this is a memorial of the Exodus from Egypt. The actual thing you do every seven days is a memorial of of Exodus, is a memorial of the redemption, um, which is very powerful. Exactly how they got to that theology, um, I'm not 100% sure. It it is mentioned uh, in the commandments that the Sabbath is a memorial of the Exodus. So it was very easy to obviously see that jump. Um, is there wine in the holy place? I know that there was some kind of goblet kind there of... Was, uh, there was incense uh, in, in front of the parochet. There was mm-hmm. bread and there was light. Wine was poured out uh, on the ground. Um, 
and only by uh, a high priest. You didn't actually drink it, you poured it out as, a, as an offering. Okay. Um, hey, so, Aaron. yeah. Um, in the Catholic uh, liturgy, uh, there is a portion where they actually uh, state that the sacrifice or that the, what they're going through is in the order of uh, Melchizedek. They actually, that's actually part of the ceremony. They actually say that? They actually say that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's yeah. direct lineage to that sacrifice. Yep, because that's, that's, that's where it comes from. It's interesting that they've actually put it in their liturgies. Um, I don't know of any Anglican liturgies that have it, but I'm glad the Catholics have got it because that's where they get it from. Some of the older ones, you don't know, they, they kind of rotate some of the verbiage depending on the season. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it was there. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we celebrate, doesn't say build a booth, just says celebrate the festival of the Lord your God. Doesn't even say how. Right? Once, you're, once you don't have clear definitions of how, what can you do? Be creative. <laughs> yeah, get creative. Right. And there you go. And that's what happens. And so there is lots of license. God gives his people lots of license to say, okay, guys, I want you to be happy. Come on, figure out how to get happy. Um, invite me in. Say some prayers. Sing and dance. Get some blessings. Cook up special types of foods. I'm happy with whatever you decide to do. Give me reasons why you're doing stuff. And, and you can see that traditions come along and they get as creative as anything. They're all good. There's nothing evil about a tradition. Um, and Yeshua, he doesn't say anything negative about them. Okay. He just says, look, this is, uh, this is pretty awesome. Okay. It's hard um, when the you know when you, you you know the judgment on top of the, some of the traditions which are so good you know you just some people can get so it's just such animosity on some of the traditions which you know yeah, it's really unfortunate yeah mm -hmm. and um, and I and I, I have to admit you know I mean I, I study with um, a little group of rabbis I think you know this a couple times a week and uh, and none of them. Are, are unhappy. Like, I don't, we don't meet where you pick up a Bible and you say, okay, guys, shall, shall we study uh, Judges today? Okay, sounds good. And you go, hey, Mordecai, why are you so unhappy? Oh, I'm so burdened by the law. I'm so unhappy. You know, my gosh, you know, why, why was I born a Jew? Why can't I be born a Gentile like you? You're always happy. They're happy. You know, they love God. They love what they're doing, you know, and, uh, and I think that that, um, is, is it's, a, it's a caricature that we've, we've got a little wrong. And uh, being, being part of a traditional church, um, okay, I'm going to admit when I was growing up, I railed against quite a few traditions. But uh, as I've learned, uh, I've learned to appreciate them uh, very much. Okay. So, uh, so we, we, it just says celebrate, doesn't say how, although there are other... Um, Verses that say, you know, build booths, live in them. There's a variety of different sacrifices that you're supposed to have, etc. You've um, also got, we went through it a few weeks ago, Deuteronomy 14, yeah. verses 22 through 28. When you bring this gift, this tithe, yeah. what are you supposed to do with it? 
uh, enjoy it yourself. Heart, that's right. Everything your heart desires. Yeah. Um, which whatever you like, you can exchange right. the money, but you can get cheap wine or other intoxicating liquor or anything that pleases you and your family. Yes. So there are some instructions there. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it's a, it's a, Jerusalem was quite, um, was good for religious tourism. It was a happy place, but it was also supposed to be a place where the Torah was on your heart. Remember what Moses is doing, particularly here where he's omitting certain things, highlighting certain things, He's trying to teach us the intention of the law is that uh, it was meant to be happy. We were meant to be rejoiceful. We were meant to remember why we were doing these things. We were meant to do it with the weak and the poor. We were never meant to exclude these kinds of people, including the foreigner. We were meant to take the blessings that we got, brought them to the Lord, knowing that he would give us another blessing. Okay, this sort of. Uh, constant thing that was was going on. All right, here's an interesting verse, verse 16. Can I, can I say something before you go on? Absolutely. Uh, it was the part where um, Roddy just read about um, back in um, Deuteronomy 14, 14. Yep. it's interesting. It also says to, to bring the tithe and then to, to give it in silver. Yeah. So I guess if we want to be obedient, we got to get out our stash. Get out of the stash. That's right. That's right. Um, you would, it would, the silver was like the, the easy mode of transportation. Take your first fruits, translate it into silver, bring it to Jerusalem, buy and sell, and, uh, and, the, and the Bank of Jerusalem got busy, which is the reason why when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and captured the temple, they found so much stuff that they built the Colosseum. Right, and in fact, the Colosseum in Rome actually has a sign on it from the builders saying that they built this because of all the stash they got from Jerusalem. And that's how you could afford such a monumental um, project, because there was so much stuff in the house of God. Okay, all right. So, verse sixteen. Here's a verse. That we can, that we were all going to, we're going to get as a rule before entering Canaan, and then we're all going to promptly ignore. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of the weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Ooh, okay. So we fail both those commandments. All right. Aaron, the one about coming to the Lord uh, with something, you know, no one com should come empty-handed. I find there's a, there's a strong echo of that in what Paul says to the Corinthians. In, um, in chapter 14, he says, uh, Why then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everyone comes together and they're bringing something no. to, to, into the presence of the Lord. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And sometimes, like, uh, our offerings to the Lord, not always money, okay? They're ourselves, our heart, our talents, our gifts, and, uh, and our love. But you can't bring nothing. So three times a year, all the men must appear before the Lord. But did that actually happen? Not three times. No. no. Once if you're lucky. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. and, once uh, if you were really uh, devoted. 
if yes. And so we find that Yeshua is from a very religious family because they're doing these pilgrimages a lot. Okay? Maybe not three times a year, but definitely yearly, annually. And, um, but if you're living in Babylon, if you're living in Rome, if you're living in Antioch, if you're living in Egypt, this is just not possible. In fact, it's not possible if you're living in Besheva or Haifa. Right? Um, to, to constantly be leaving your business and constantly making the journey to and from Jerusalem, it's just not physically possible. You'd be doing nothing other than traveling. And, um, and so, what, of course, this, this begs the question, what is God trying to do with us? What is Moses trying to say to our community? Uh, obviously, we get the attachment. No one should be appear for the Lord empty-handed. Okay, I get it. Let's bring something. I get it. Um, but what, what, what do you think Moses is, is doing? I wonder whether, because of this emphasis on these three pilgrim feasts, I wonder whether he's actually making a point that you have the choice of worshipping the gods of the hills and valleys. Don't do that. Vote with your feet. Go to where the Lord says. Oh, yeah, vote with your feet. Oh, I'll write that one down. Yeah, there you go. And being mindful of God, like, and all the things that you know about him. So when you have to do things and you think about them, right? But if you don't have to go and do something, then you're not as apt, right? Yeah, could be. I mean, um, if we're living in Rome and it's coming up for Passover, what are we going to do? Well, obviously not going to go, but what, what are we going to do as a community? We come together to, to, to celebrate. Okay, so we'll get together definitely in Rome and we yeah, will celebrate. Yeah. Okay, but what else will we do? Start packing. So, yeah, okay. what else will we do? We can't all go to Jerusalem. So what will we do? Maybe encourage Spend one person to go on the behalf of the community. Yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll get together our little synagogue Okay. which is also an interesting thing. Synagogues are not in the, in the Hebrew Bible. They are in the New Testament, right? They're a, they're a development. Um, and uh, again, Yeshua doesn't walk into a synagogue and say, come on, you idiots, you can't build these things. They're not in the Bible. <laughs> um, so we have a synagogue in, in Rome, and we have a little community. We get together, and we say, Neville, it's your turn, dude. Yeah, I'm, I really can't. Yes, that's right. So everybody, let's all buy Neville a, a, a boat trip to Jerusalem. And when you're there, here's a sticky label. Can you stick that onto the wall? And uh, here's some silver. Can you buy something for me, um, you know, for my family? Can you give this gift to the temple? Uh, I've got a friend, you know, who lives in, in Nazareth. Can you drop this off? Uh, we, we, and and we, we sort of bring them into the middle of the community. We lay hands on them. We bless them. We say, we're going to pray for you on your trip. And he's like our representative. And so you end up with this idea of the mediator. You have these people who play your role for you. And, uh, and they begin to take part in, in, in all of these festivals on your behalf. And that, that role begins to permeate a lot of the way we begin to read the Bible. We can't all show up three times a year. Yes, we could. We were supposed to. At the time Moses is writing this, yeah. they're coming into the promised land. Everything is going to be completely provided. 
you start to travel three days before the festival. You take you, your family, your entire household with you. Now, okay. after we screw everything up yeah. because we don't listen to God and <laughs> are obedient to him, now yeah. we come into the area that you're that you're. I, I get what you're saying, but on this one, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Roddy. <laughs> we, now they we, come we, across. Yeah. They can we, we, in, we, enter, we enter the promised land. We get the deviation of the, of the territory. Yes. And, and tell me, man, you're living uh, up, up in, uh, in Asher, right on the border of Lebanon. Yes. Your entire household is going to leave. Your entire village is going to leave it completely deserted, completely vacant. You're not going to leave anybody there, and you're all going to go to Jerusalem. No, somebody will stay. Somebody, yeah, somebody yeah, may have to stay. However, yeah. everything was provided for them. They didn't build Absolutely. the houses. They didn't take up the rocks out of there. Yeah. All, everything is provided. And if they, if they would have done things the way it was set up for them, I think it would have worked. Of course, we humans are not going to do that. None of us are. But I do believe it was reasonable at the I'll go up three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, no, more. I, I, I get the passion, Roddy, and I love it. This is also one of the reasons why I love you, man, because you're so <laughs> passionate. No, seriously, Roddy is incredibly passionate for the Lord. You should see what his eyes look like when he starts talking. Like, all right, I'm <laughs> But, you know, um, just like we read in, in, in Exodus 34, where, where I talked about um, God assuring the people that um, nobody will covet their land. Yeah. Um, I think for security reasons, it might not still be possible to have everybody leave. <laughs> right. Because yes. if everybody leave and goes to Jerusalem, then the whole land will be exposed and they can be attacked. You know, right. um, like where we have the Yom Kippur War, for instance, uh, you see that um, today Israel will not, um, you know, totally shut down because of Yom yeah. Kippur. They yeah. won't do that again. Yeah. They won't do that again. And also, you, you see, during the time of the Maccabees, um, the, the priests before the Maccabees, where they did not want to fight on the Shabbat day, they didn't want to break the Shabbat law. But the Maccabees, when they came, Judas and his brothers said, no, we will defend ourselves on the Shabbat day. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that um, it might not just be possible for everybody to be in Jerusalem. I think that's one of the reasons we encourage ourselves at the end of... Um, like um, Rosh Hashanah, we say next year in Jerusalem. I mean, yeah. Even though we're not going to be there next year, we know we're not going to be there, but we always say oh, next no, year say it in anyway. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's wishful thinking. How many people did they leave in Egypt? They must have left some back to take care of the farm in Egypt then. <laughs> <laughs> they took every single yeah. person. That's yeah. <laughs> and I agree with I agree with Roddy because the scripture says every male three times a year that they should so they were required so every male I mean sure you can leave some servants back I suppose but whatever the, the servants are males also we have male servants so you can no but you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. Paul went you know Shaul when he's sitting in Athens and he goes into the synagogue he doesn't say the heck you guys doing here you idiots you know you've got to get on your boats and get quickly to jerusalem you know um uh the this, yeah. this passage creates this issue writing and everybody um what can we do when the lord says come to jerusalem everyone but we just can't physically send everyone so you create the role of the mediator someone goes for us yeah. and uh and it's a it's a very clever way I think of, uh, of of beginning to show up 
these, especially if these pilgrim festivals are reflections of the Messiah. Okay? There's, a, there's a deep theological thinking, um, reflections of the Messiah. Someone goes for us in our place. There's lots of joy that's involved. The weak and the, and the, and the, and the, and the poor are taken care of and the foreigner, okay, the stranger. That's it. We're taking all of these people as well as Levites. Okay? We're taking care of them as well. I think it's very powerful. And each of you must bring a gift. Well, then it's not really a gift, is it, if it's a must. Um, but you have this interesting concept. God blesses you. Bring your free will offering. Bring a gift. Don't come empty-handed. And God will bless you again until you get this, this sort of, it's a command to bring, but it's still involving a choice. It's still involving uh, the action of the heart. It's still involving an acknowledgement that God has given me something first and I'm going to appear before him and I'm going to give back that which is already his, uh, right. which is what... Yeah. And every person is personally responsible. So really, when it comes to faith, even in God, we're all personally and independently responsible. There's no mediator between us and God yeah. except Jesus Christ, right? So I'm not sure where you're getting that mediator part. Okay. The mediator is everyone has to appear before uh, God at these festivals. Can't possibly happen. So by a tradition, we begin to send people as representatives of our community. Those are the mediators. Those are the ones that are standing for develop, But that's not what the scripture says. No, but we've already reflected that tradition develops and tradition isn't inherently evil. In right, fact, but it's not all good either. Well, that's also true. But the, the, the next point is it's not inherently evil and it can be used by the good guys for good. And the examples are pretty much everything that Yeshua does. Okay. He takes the traditions and he, and he shows out the good. And the bits of the tradition that he doesn't like, well, he chastises them for that too. So there's a, there is a good play. But um, the, 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 the role of the mediator begins to show. We haven't had these guys before, right? We're, here we are in the desert. We have not talked about mediators yet, okay? But we're now beginning to, okay? or not beginning to. You can see hints of it in, in these commandments. Um, Aaron, just to yeah. buttress the fact that your points, um, if we look at um, 1 Corinthians 16, 8, Paul was um, um, talking to the Corinthians and said that I'm going to stay in Ephesus on the Pentecost. So, he, I mean, in that Pentecost, he chose not to be in Jerusalem. That's and true. He, he was, and he was going to celebrate it there. And, yep. you know, and he did celebrate it. And he did so. so. It's, and it, it wasn't out of place for him to celebrate there. Correct. And he says, um, according to the law, I'm blameless. Yeah, yeah. And like, but you just celebrated Pentecost in Ephesus. You obviously yeah. have broken the commandment, okay? It's because <laughs> the, 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 the way we think, now we as, as Christians, okay, or, or that's not fair because we're not all Christians here. <laughs> um, the way we think as believers, particularly on, on some sections of the church, we get very hard and we say, well, it's got to be this because that's what it says. Jewish people never thought that way. And, um, and it, just, it just opens up again. That in Jewish tradition, they don't see the law as a weight, as something that's very heavy. In fact, you actually find a lot of joy in it. 
Right? So especially in these chapters, always be happy. Lots of joy, lots of drinking, lots of eating, lots of... Uh, uh, not working. Yes, not no, stop working, have some fun, and uh, mm. do your Pilates next week when it's time to lose some weight from all the stuff that you've been getting. Okay? Um, all right, so the last bit of this chapter involves two sections, one on the appointment of judges and one on getting rid of idolatry. Remember, idolatry is the big problem of in the Hebrew Bible. Greed is the one in the, in the Greek Bible, in New Testament, but idolatry is our issue in, in Hebrew. So appoint judges and officials, verse 18. For each of your tribes, every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge you fairly. Okay, now, where does Moses get this idea of the appointment of judges? Who gave him that idea? Father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro. That's right. Yeah. We, we had to get some advice from a pagan priest, okay? Um, because he really was trying to do everything himself. Not good. And this is an issue which we find many of our leadership doing. Okay? Um, we do. Um, across the board, time immemorial, even to today, in our own communities. Um, the boss seems to do everything. We want the boss to do everything. Um, uh, Moses has already learned that's not possible. Okay, it's, 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 it's also not healthy. We're going to talk about kings next week, but we're not, talking, we're not worried about kings yet. What we're worried about is local leadership in a, in a hierarchical fashion. So get judges and officials from all of your tribes and put them in every town. Don't make, just make sure everybody's got uh, some people over them and, uh, and make sure that they do it, they, they operate in justice. Don't pervert justice. The society that Moses is trying to create is going to be a just society, a humane society, a society that cares for the weak, is incredibly generous, uh, is a light to the nations. Um, and so we've got to make sure that justice is, is, um, is, is uh, being done. Um, unfortunately, Has ever been done anywhere in the world? Everything you and, and unfortunately, Roddy's on the bad end of bad justice. Uh, they really should be reading this passage. No, I mean, for anywhere in the world, is this, this these ideals that you just mentioned, uh, they're wonderful, but has any society ever actually um, fulfilled all these things? Has any uh, well, <laughs> most probably not, but that is still the ideal we should aspire to. We can start with our communities. Um, don't accept bribes. There's a good lesson for us. Okay. Um, don't bribe because bribery blinds. Okay. It, it twists the words of the innocent. God is very concerned about the innocent, the poor, and the weak. Um, follow justice and justice alone. In fact, um, what's uh, the phrase in Deuteronomy? All of your ways are, all of God's ways are just. Or the actual word is justice. All of God's ways are justice. Okay. Um, so that yeah, you can. And, um, there is a very interesting midrash on that. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah, it go. says, Why the Torah says, Justice does justice you shall pursue. You know, it repeats itself. Zedek, Zedek. It, says, it means that you shall pursue justice using just means. Uh, you cannot okay. pursue justice using other means. You have to pursue justice using just means. Right. Yep. There you go. That's a good uh, good midrash for it. 
Yeah. And um, but it, and the the society that God is creating, uh, the result it has a blessing, and this, and the blessing is life. This the idea that you will live and possess the land that the Lord our God is giving us. So you get a gift, but you got to be able to keep your gift. Okay. Um, the the one of the uh, issues that we have is um, when it comes to salvation. You get salvation, now you've got to keep salvation. Ooh. You know, that sort of tension. Once saved, always saved. Okay? I happen to disagree with that principle. Okay? That just lost me half my, my listeners. Okay? But, uh, okay? It's a very dangerous teaching, actually. Yes. And, and, and I, think you see it, I think you see it here. You get the land. It is a gift. But you got to keep it. You got to keep it, yeah. And you got to keep it by being just. And I want justice for the innocent. I want justice for the weak. I want you to reflect my character. And uh, it's a lesson that we have to take as believers in, in the Messiah everywhere we live. We've we got 10 to, days from now to, to figure it out, huh? We've got, we got 10 days of all to figure it out, people, okay? The books are <laughs> open. Well, they're not open yet. They open at, Yom, at uh, Rosh Hashanah, okay? And... Uh, yeah. But they're blowing, they're blowing the shofars. They're blowing them everywhere. They're sleeper away. But Aaron, yeah. I'll refer you to, oh, sorry. I'll refer you to uh, Second Thessalonians for that concept, right? In, in yeah. chapter one there about how, um, or, well, First Thessalonians 5, yeah. how God is the God of peace. Yeah. He makes us pure and devoted to him, and he keeps us strong to the end. So, in fact, like in Romans, the first chapter of Romans, it's by faith from first to last that we're saved, and yep. God is the giver of faith. So, ultimately, God is the one who keeps us to the end. And so, if we're valid, you know, real believing, you know, real believers in God, then he will keep us to the end. And we will persevere. So you can see it from a physical realm through the perseverance of the saints, quote unquote. You know what I mean? How they continue yeah. to follow yeah. God. And, and that would be a, a very Calvinistic uh, idea, uh, the way Calvin would, would, would love it. Because um, there are other parts of Paul, for example, in Romans, Romans 11. Right. In, in Romans, uh, Romans 11, 22, where he says, consider the goodness and the sternness of God. Okay, mm -hmm. sternness to those who fell. But goodness, right, to you, as long as you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also get cut off. So there is, there is this uh, relationship that does depend on our obedience. Okay, it's right, not, man's yes. responsibility versus God's power. Right. You, God doesn't throw you out of his hand. You choose to jump. But he always catches you if you want. So yeah. it's, it's those mm -hmm. sort of... Uh, um, yeah, it's, that, it's that interesting paradox, a tension, classic Hebrew tension, which just permeates all the way through Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, um, which and I think is, end, is... Yeah, in the book of Revelation at the end, it's an endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Yes. So, and, then, and then in James, it says, you know, faith apart from works is dead. I mean, you Correct. can go... It's just amazing how you could just really... It's right. It's a, it's a blend of the two together. And here you get to keep the land uh, uh, as long as it's, it's justice. So the first thing you do is when you get into the territory, we're not going to have Moses. Moses knows that. Moses already told everybody, hey, I'm dying today, okay? I'm going to start singing in a couple of chapters, all right? Cecil B. DeMille, here we come. Um, 
but he knows once you once once you're in the land and you've got no me right uh, you need to start appointing appointing officials at this point he doesn't give us a nice list of the characteristic of the judge yet okay? hopefully we're going to get that later but you don't get it here right did all the judges have to take the Nazarai vows? You know what? I don't know that. I'm going to have to research that one. That's a, you know, but I don't, I don't know. If the, how did the judge uh, assume his, his, his office? Did he take a vow? Did he, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that one up, okay? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, cool. Moses here doesn't, doesn't say how, how you do it. He just says... He just gives them the, the rule, don't pervert justice. It's this in, intrinsic into our community. And then on the, paralleling with justice is idolatry. Don't do it. In particular, the, the fertility goddess, the Asherah pole. Okay? Um, he's actually mentioned this a few times. Um, this was one of the very um, enticing gods that ensnared... Uh, Israel, why do you think it was so enticing? Yeah. You, you only need one guess, actually. Fertility. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sex, sex, and after that, some more sex. Okay. And uh, as you can see, you know, four thousand years later, we're we're still. Uh, yeah. And you have here the idea that they think God needs a partner. He's really lonely. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, every other body's God has a girl, but not our God. He's, a, he's he obviously needs some help. He would love it if he gets one of these guys right next to his altar. Um, and they, with Kabbalah, yeah, with Kabbalah, you have that concept, right? Uh, yeah. The divine and, and, and that union, yeah, I, and that you know, the sephirot, whatever they have yeah. some of that in there. Yeah, it's very unfortunate, um, because it seems. It seems so natural because when we look at the world, men and women get together. So surely if we're made in the image of God, are not they doing it too? And, uh, and, the, Mormons, and the Mormons say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Mormons will say yes. And there's a bunch of other people that say yes too. And unfortunately, from archaeology, we realize that Israel said yes as well. Um, it is unfortunate, but it only occurs in the archaeology of the first temple period, which is interesting, uh, when you dig this stuff out of the ground. And we had a director at, uh, at, at Christchurch at CMJ who was an archaeologist, and he had done some digs, and, and he gave a lecture to us uh, uh, one day, a fascinating lecture, where he showed visual objects where they had God and his wife. And you would be scratching him going, I can't believe the Israelites would do this, you know. They're told by Moses, don't do this. Um, it just was so attractive, this sort of idea that uh, you know, God needs a, a wife. Um, but Moses is clear, don't, okay, because, because actually this is something God hates. But this idea of putting anything, whether it's sex or your country or anything before him, even today, is prevalent. Think about it. What's outside of 
most public buildings and beside in the front yard of most people houses in America. I've no clue what is it with the flag. Oh. putting the country or whatever organization that you may belong to above God and first, right. as opposed so, to putting the Ten Commandments or something to God out front, we put a pole with something, a flag waving of some sort or whatever we believe in first. We yeah. still do it today. Yeah. Around yeah. the world. Yeah, around the world. And um, it's, it's very more, it's more subtle, but it's still putting something before God. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where God tells us not to do these things, don't do the wooden uh, fertility things and don't do uh, the sacred stones, um, which, which are also prevalent, unfortunately, um, around. People chose not to go to Jerusalem to worship. They decided they could worship God just outside, initially thinking that they were worshiping God and then later it switches form. Um, in the Bible, God doesn't say he hates that many things. And God tells us a lot about his character, about what he loves and how he cares and you know, he has concern for the poor and the widow and, and he loves the world and says this is good. It's, it's very rarely that God turns around and says, oh, by the way, but this, this I don't like. And... Uh, um, and we have to acknowledge that God also has emotions because he also is jealous. He loves, he laughs, he sings over Jerusalem, he has joy, and he has the uh, ability to, to hate. Um, and he doesn't hate people. Okay? He hates this false thing. He hates this idea. He hates the competition. Uh, he, what, whatever you want to say, that he hates the theology of the Asherah pole. Because there's no such thing as a fertility goddess. Like, it doesn't exist where you know, God can point out and look at it and go, there she is, and I'll just obliterate her. But, but the, this concept, this false worship, is, um, is certainly undesirable. Um, and perhaps that helps us understand a little bit of the coming abomination of desolation that you know, what, what do we call something that's so bad um, but whatever it is God hates it and it's this 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 ideology this theology that uh, there are other gods there are none and, uh, and, and we shouldn't even try to replace him um, with any of them as nice as they might look like as innocent as they might seem as even as natural as they might be. Wooden, stone, these are earthy objects. This is what God created. Uh, you know, we've got females that give life. Babies come from them. It's all really easy to, to sort of work out that, that uh, they have some sort of creative aspect to them as well. Um, it's, it's very dangerous for us to run too far down, down that line. Um, this is, this is, a, this is a, a piece of God um, and his emotions that he actually reveals to us, right? right? Yeah. The anger, the, the nostrils. The, the nostrils, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't like it, right? And, uh, and we have to acknowledge it, and we have to do, um, it really does. 
behoove us that when we're applying the Torah to our hearts and we're trying to make this applicable to our lives, we're going to, we're going to do our best to care for the weak. We're going to do our best to make our societies and communities just and holy and reflect the, the living God. And, um, and we're going to care for the stranger, the guy that doesn't think like us, doesn't look like us, doesn't act like us. We're going to do our best to shine our light so much that he actually wants to become us. Um, but there's also a part of God that we also have to understand as well as the joy that's there, as well as the blessing that's there, as well as the giving that's there, there is something he dislikes. And because of that, and that alone, we shouldn't do it. Right? We shouldn't. And the uh, idea, sorry, and the idea that he's a spiritual being, he, he can't be reflected in anything physical because it's not accurate enough to describe and show all that he is. Like you could not sure. physically replicate him in any whatever obelisk or whatever you know whatever other image you want to try to set up so and just the fact that he he communes with his trinity the 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 three in one yep in a sense his marriage is to us the church the bride his bride so we're quote unquote his wife i guess ultimately right right in a theological way right yeah. right but so not in a physical, sexual way he no, has no, no. no it's, it's, in a, it's in a relationship way right How's that? It's, in a, it's in a relationship way and you said you said that God doesn't hate people, uh, and that's a bit tricky because there are verses where we find that He hates sinners, He hates the wicked. Yeah, and it's not referring like, for example, in 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 Revelation it says He hates the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Right there, it says the teachings itself. It it doesn't say. Yeah, he hates the Nicolaitans, but there are other instances, like in in, I think it's the Wisdom of Solomon, where it actually says he hates the sinner. Right. Yeah. So that that whole thing about hating the sin and not the sinner is a bit, yeah. is a bit tricky. It and is. also, it, in, there's, in, a, there's an interesting verse where it says, "You know, Jacob I preferred, but Esau I hated." Uh, Jacob yeah. I also hated. that. And, and there's, what does it actually mean for God to hate Esau? Um, the, the intention there is, is preferred and not preferred. It's not, right. not, not in a realm of, of yeah. hate per se. But yeah, like the way we're supposed to hate our families and even ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and also what you said about idolatry, I think it's also there in, in the wisdom of Solomon. He says that the root of evil is is idolatry. It's yes. like an al an alternative passage to the love of money. Yeah. But there it says idolatry. The root of all evil is idolatry. So just just before we close, just look at the time. Does anyone know what Bernardo is quoting from? The Wisdom of Solomon. Okay, Syria. so it's a yeah. Um, most likely not written by Solomon at all, but it appears in the Second Temple period, late Second Temple period. So it's about about 150 years prior to Yeshua, roughly when it starts to appear in, in, in physical texts. And it is translated into Greek, so it goes from Hebrew into a Greek version, which is what it's preserved in. And, uh, and it is part of the canon of some different churches, just not many. Um, but mainly Orthodox, and it's in the Catholic Bible as well. And it, cons it contains um, some wisdom literature 
which is exploring some of these things that we've been talking about. It begins to put them down into actual uh, wordage. And some of those thoughts actually also appear in the New Testament. Okay. Um, and it's very similar to Ecclesiastes. It is. It's very similar, and hence the reason why it was attributed to Solomon as the author. We're not 100% sure per se, but, um, but it's got some very similar theology. And if you happen to be an Anglican, it's actually part of your Bible, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, and, um, and, and one of the things we like to do at Christchurch is when, when the read that comes up as a reading, we like to, to read it just because it does reflect some of uh, some very beautiful uh, theology, which is which is in in the late Second Temple period New Testament theology, um, putting putting words to some of the themes that we've been talking about that are not mentioned by Moses. So, just in conclusion, before we leave, and I know I've gone a little bit over time, Moses has listed three festivals, and excluded a host of others. He has focused on the pilgrimages ones, the ones that you've got to show up and have and be with the Lord. So we're talking about a relationship one-to-one. He desires men to show up, okay? But they can't always make it, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and so you're going to have to send a mediator, okay? Um, uh, this this idea, the sacrifices, while acknowledged in the other parts of the Torah, here are downplayed. Doesn't mean they don't happen. It means though that the focus, the intention, was on being with the Lord, having joy, bringing gifts, acknowledging where your blessings come from, celebrating as as a, as whole communities. Males, females, sons, daughters, slaves, free, and those darn strangers, and take care of, uh, of, the, of the weak. Um, all of this reflecting the character of God and the intention of Torah. And then there's that little bit of, you know, get ready for when I'm not here. Appoint yourself some judges. Make sure you've got all law and order. Your society rules with justice. Um, and, and keep those idols far away because this is really something that God doesn't, doesn't like. Okay. All right, guys. Um, next week, we finally get on to what you do with a king. And guess what? It's, it's actually not a lot. Okay? So, all right. Yeah. Um, on, on, you talked about um, how they, they choose the magistrates, the mishpatim, yeah. and... Um, they usually are references from the, the from the community. The community people will make references. Will kind of um, if you read in um, Deuteronomy one thirteen, it says, um, "Choose for yourself wise, understanding, and respected men, each from your tribe, and I will appoint them as your leaders." So those are how they choose. It's the same way they choose the Sahindrin. Uh, they make references from the community, and people are elected to that position. Yep, and. Paul reflects that in his decisions of how you choose your leaders as well, with the yeah, characteristics yeah, yeah. that we see of what our characters should be um, over us, which is interesting because it's got nothing to do with how many degrees you've got. Yeah. It's got to yeah. do with your character, yeah. and, uh, which is also, again, yeah. All right, guys. Great. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, 
Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.